Well, good morning to you on this happy Mother's Day. So it's a, it's a wonderful day to be here and uh, celebrate. Uh, my name is Michael. I'm the pastor here. If you're uh, here online, then uh, we're glad that you're here also. Um, and on this special Mother's Day, um, we wanted to do something special for our mothers. So um, as a gift for the church, uh, from the church um, that my lovely wife, Christy, uh, put together, um, there's going to be a little... Uh, gift bag on the table back there. So uh, if you're a mom, um, feel free. There's kind of a variety back there. You can grab one of those on the way out um, just so we can show our appreciation to you as moms. Um, and as a side note, I know uh, there are some ladies here today too who, who may not have had a child of their own, uh, but you've been a mom to or a grandma or an aunt uh, in a way to some of our kids here at the church. Um, please feel free to take one of those as well. So I'd like to thank you for being that to them. Uh, and so, uh, also, by the way, I already said this to my mom, but if you're watching, Mom, happy Mother's Day. I love you. Uh, and so, isn't that cool? The technology, and we can do that even though 1,000, 1,500 miles apart. So, uh, I'm thankful for that. We can express that. And um, you should do that for your mom today, too, whatever way that you can. Uh, and so, today we'll be in Psalm chapter 16, um, kind of a fitting psalm for us today. Uh, and we're talking about this idea of living preservation. Uh, living preservation. If there's anybody in your life that's probably tried to keep you alive as much as possible, uh, it would be your mom, keeping you out of danger, preserving your life for the future. And there's many of us in the room today that would still say, we still probably call our mom every once in a while and say, hey mom, what do you think about this? What should I do? Uh, And they've always been there for that advice. And so maybe though, as we think about those things from a Mother's Day perspective, we also want to look at what the Bible says and what David said about preserving our lives. What does that look like? Well, we'll be in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament because if you look at what David said in comparison with what uh, Jesus said in the New Testament uh, in regards to preserving our life, what, is that, what does that actually look like? Well, uh, the New Testament is going to share with us too that preserving our life sometimes looks like letting it go, or at least letting go part of it, so that we can have a more full life in Jesus. And so, before we get into the uh, main part of the message, before we get into the text, uh, I want to show you a video real quick. So go ahead and turn your attention to the screens. What do you want to be when you grow up? Um, I want to be a superhero. These dorm rooms are so small. Oh, honey, they are fine. They're practically prison cells. You're so oh, 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 baby. I miss you so much. Smile, look. Maybe I made a mistake. I don't think I can do this. I almost failed my last two tests. You're gonna be a great doctor, honey. You gotta keep working at it. And I'm here if you need me, okay? Okay, quiz me. All right, which facial bone is responsible for the formation of the lateral wall of the orbitals? Zygomatic bone. You're gonna kill it, babe. You got this. We got a college graduate, Daddy! Woo! Where? Cairo. Cairo 
New Jersey. <laughs> What do you want to be when you grow up? Um, I want to be a superhero. Why? Because I want to save people's lives and make everyone happy. Right. I'm excited to see what God has in store for you. <laughs> I love you, baby. I love you, too. Sometimes, preserving our lives... It uh, looks a little bit different than we think, doesn't it? And especially as we think about that as parents, as you think about that as moms, you get to that point, you think, well, what does God want my kid to do? What does God want our family to do? And sometimes it's the thing that you may think, oh, I'm not sure that's what I want. But the question is, is it what God wants? And is it a life that would actually preserve their life for what God wants? And so as we think about that, I want to um, start off with the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 9, before we get into Psalm chapter 16, it says in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 25, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whatever loses his, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Um, so there's a lot of things out there. There's a lot of opportunity, and we want the best for our kids, right? Moms, as you think about that on Mother's Day, we want the best for our kids. But what does that really look like, and what is God's best? I think we have to answer that question, uh, because true joy and fullness in God, we'll see, may come from a different place than just being successful, right, or doing well in life. It may come from doing some hard things, like if you were to Ask your kid or your kid says to you something like that, I think God wants me to go to China and share the gospel with people. And most of us will go, I don't think you should do that, right? But what does God want? So maybe that's not your situation or it hasn't been, uh, but I know God's got some special things to share with us on this Mother's Day through David, and God's sharing through David through Psalm chapter 16. And so <clears throat> maybe you're new to the Bible, maybe you're new to the book of Psalms, and you're like, I'm not really sure what this is about. Well, uh, we know that David wrote over half the Psalms, and Ezra, a guy who came back from a situation of captivity of God's people, who helped rebuild the temple, uh, gathered all these Psalms together, and he put them together in this book that came in our canon of the Old Testament. And what God gave this for us, to us is really um, just to help us navigate the ups and downs of life. So as David, who wrote over half the Psalms, if, that was, if we, all we got were his writings, then probably that would have been enough. We had a lot of other ones. And as we go through this today, we'll see that there's a lot of pictures of Christ in this. And a lot of theologians who read this text said, including Peter in Acts chapter 2, said that this was pointing towards Christ. So as David writes these words, he's been given them by God, he's going to point us in the direction of Christ. So it's going to be cool to see. Uh, and so the first, <clears throat> fill in the blank, is just the good, right? So these are going to be easy today, the fill in the blank, the good. And so in verse 1, it says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. So this word for preserve in the Hebrew, it's the word shamar, meaning to keep, guard, or observe. And the first time this word is actually used is right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 2.15. It says, The Lord God took the man. Put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And so David, he, he knows this would have been the language used at the beginning of the Bible. 
He says, God, like you, have given man this express purpose in the garden to work it and keep it. Would you keep me? Would you guard me? And then he says, oh, God, for in you I take refuge. So is this where we go? Um, certainly in times of difficulty, but this was um, probably not that type of season for David when he's writing this. He's, he's talking about our whole perspective as he writes to his people uh, the words that God wants him to share with them. He says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. So this is right, we, and we should go to God. And sometimes we don't always like the answer, right? And we go to God and we're like, God, we want you to preserve us. And he starts pressing on our hearts in certain areas, right? He says, I want you to do this. Or I want you to go there. Or I want you to give, yeah, that money. I know you were saving that so you could redo the kitchen. Yeah, we want you to give that to this missions organization or to the church. And I'm not you know, prying any, in any way. But you know, God asks us to do those things. And sometimes we just go, oh, God, I just don't know. I mean, that's like the one thing that I know, yes, I want you to preserve me. I want you to keep me. But does it really come at a cost like that? Well, it comes at the cost of our entire lives, doesn't it? Whatever God wants us to do, he wants us to be faithful and obedient to do. And this is how we experience that good in our lives. And so in verse 2, we find this location of good. So where is good? Well, David says, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. So he uses some interesting words for God. He says, I say to the Lord, and the word is Jehovah, so the one true God. I say to the one true God, and then he says, you are my Lord. He uses the word Adonai, which is the word for like personal God. So now other people are going to read this. It's not just the people of God. Um, He's writing these things down that people all over the world for all time that has passed since then are going to pick up and read. And he's saying this not only to the people of God, but the people who pick this up and go, yeah, we like worship all these different gods, for one for this thing, one for that thing. And he says, I say to Jehovah, the one true God, because there is only one true God. You are my personal God. And so there are people who would be reading this, even in the nations that surrounded them in the years to come, who would be like, I don't know even what that's about. Like, how does David have that? He talks about being preserved, and then he says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, this true and this personal God that I have. And then he says, I have no good apart from you. So we do, do we recognize where good comes from? Where we're like the, the amazing things of life come from? Well, they all come from God. And the question is, do we have that perspective? So when we experience the good in this preservation of life, can we appreciate it for what it is? Or do we, when we sit down, like, you know, we, we took the girls out to get ice cream um, after school this week, and we sat down at Dave's. Of course, it's, you know, the weather's been kind of cold and rainy, right? So nobody's there. So we sat down, and uh, uh, we were just having some ice cream. And so what do we think in those moments? Do we think, like, how good is God that he gives us the time to be with our kids, right? The time to grow up, the time to raise kids, um, the time to just enjoy ice cream, right? Well, who made that? God did. And he gives us those good things for a reason, so that when we look at those things and we experience those things, they don't just terminate on themselves, right? Like, I like ice cream. I'm just going to keep eating more ice cream because I like that. No, we, we see that or we experience those things and we say, God, thank you because you are good. And David recognizes this, right? He, he, he's not pointing all the attention and the glory to himself. He says, how do we experience this? Well, we experience it in the Lord. And how sad is it to like live through this life and just go after thing after thing that people think right will make them happy or will bring them enjoyment. And then every time, because they make that the most important thing, because they make that the greatest moment, what happens? It lets them down because it terminates on itself. It doesn't terminate only on God. And when we do that and we say, God, you're the greatest source of joy. You're the greatest source of good. All these things come from you anyway. Then 
does that blessing continue going? Right, it does, because we think about not only the memory, but how good and how faithful God has been. So we sing about that. And then verse 3, <clears throat> we see God's delight in our purpose. So in verse 3, in this good, it says, And as for the saints in the land, they are excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. And so God's speaking here through David about his people. He says, For all the saints in the land, they are excellent ones, in whom all is all my delight. And so in First Peter, Peter says something similar. He says this in 1 Peter 2, 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who, are, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Um, so uh, where are we placed and what is, what is our purpose? So like David said, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my Delight. So God delights in us. And then he's made this way, right? He's made this way for us to be um, one with him through what Jesus has done for us on the cross in his death, burial, and resurrection. And now we have access to all these things. So our perspective, looking back at what David did and what he said, and now having both that and the New Testament, what Peter said after Jesus was raised from the dead, he says, you're a chosen race. And so he uses this language that we're now included in the family of God. Uh, did you know before that that it was just one people group, all right? So if you were outside of that people group, like you weren't inside the family of God, you had no opportunity. And now in God's good grace, because he's extended that to everyone, and what David's pointing to, even though he was writing this a thousand years before Jesus came, and what Peter reminds us about, he says, we are this royal priesthood. Oh, wait a second, I've heard a lot of things. Like maybe you, um, like you grew up Catholic and like you, you went to confession and, and everybody was like, hey, if you don't go, like you're going to be in trouble. You know, you got you to go and confess that to the priest. Well, Peter tells us here, and David points to, that we can have direct access to God, right? That we can just go straight to him. And so God delights in this. He says, as for the saints in the land, they are excellent ones in whom all is all my delight. We're a holy nation of people for his own possession. So he, he holds us and he delights in us. And we find our purpose in this, right? That we can pursue God wholeheartedly and we can follow him. And then there's this contrast in verse 4. So in the good, we see there's some bad, right? There's always that present. And so it says in verse 4, "...the sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will pour out or, t- and, out or take their names on my lips." And so there's these two groups of people. So there's those who are following after God. They're receiving the good from God. They're going, God, thank you. These good things, they come from you. They don't come from anywhere else. Um, we take refuge in you. And he said there's another group of people. There's this group that this sorrow that they experience in life is going to multiply because they just keep pursuing after everything else. It says, uh, pursuing or run after another God shall multiply these sorrows. Why is that? Because, well, what did we say before? So if we take the good, right, the things that God gives us in life, and then we go, that is what life is about. And maybe, um, I don't know, maybe you're watching online, or maybe even here and, and at times, or, or maybe even now you've sort of, you've gone, if I could accumulate as much money for myself, my family, and then, then I would be secure, and then maybe I would have the retirement that I want, or maybe if I could just get to this point in life, I could have this kind of house, or this kind of car, or this kind of family. And if I got to that point, then I think I'd be happy, and that good would just be good enough for me. But then it never is, right? That good, if it doesn't terminate on God, if it just terminates on ourselves or what we can get for ourselves or offer for ourselves, 
it doesn't go well. And so this is one of those gods that David was talking about. This is the sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. And he says, their drink offerings of blood I will pour, I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. And so in a couple of different places in the Old Testament, there's this same idea uh, that kind of points us in the right direction. In Exodus 23, 13, it says, pay attention to all that I said to you and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be on your lips. And Joshua 23, 7 says uh, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. So what was the problem for the people of God all throughout the New Testament? And why David's alluding to this, he's saying that you're going to keep pursuing after these other gods. Why don't you just take joy and comfort in God and who he is and his goodness and say, thank you, God, for all the good that you do. Allow us to experience in knowing you. And then he, he, he reminds us and through other places in the Old Testament that God's people constantly struggle with this, right? They went from place to place and position to position, and then they experienced the blessing. And after a while, they got, what? They got prideful. They thought that they deserved it or that they, uh, yeah, you're right. We are great. So we must, you know, we must, we can make our own decisions. And uh, then it usually went bad, right? And so as I was going through this, I thought of this this morning. It was a quiet time we had read through a couple of months ago, but it was in Sam, 1 Samuel 15, 22 through 23. And it's uh, an interaction that takes place between uh, Samuel and Saul. And it happens after Saul. He's accomplished a lot of great victories, and um, he had already been anointed king. And, and there kept happening these places in his life where God was blessing and he was increasing the kingdom. And God would say, hey, here's what I want you to do here. And then Saul was like, yeah, that, that's a good idea, God, but I got a better one. And then he would do what he thought was best. And so King Saul, when he comes back, Samuel's waiting for him, and he shows up with all this livestock and the king who they conquered, their people they conquered. And what God had told King Saul to do was, hey, you need to destroy everything. Don't leave anything there. By the way, don't take any of the treasure. Oh, they brought some of that back too. And he comes back and Samuel's like, what have you done? You didn't honor the word of the Lord. And Saul goes, well, basically he said, I, th- I thought this was a better idea. See, I was going to offer all these sacrifices, this livestock and all this treasury. You're like, we're going to bring it back to God. He's going to be so happy with us. And then something happens. Samuel says this to Saul in 1 Samuel 15, 22 through 23. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. And the very next chapter, David, the guy who we're looking at what he wrote in Psalm chapter 16, is anointed king as a shepherd boy. People who didn't think he would be king for sure. But yet he was the person that God wanted, and God took Saul out of this place of kingship because he kept making these choices. He kept making these decisions that he thought was better, he thought would be greater. And Samuel says, you can't keep doing this. In fact, because you've done this, God's going to remove you from this position. And so we have to remember this. We can experience the good. We don't want this to terminate just on itself, right? Those experiences in life that God blesses us with, and especially as believers, And then we certainly can't, like the rest of the world, we can't just pursue after everything else and think that it's going to make us happy. Because David said right here, hey, all those things 
you're just going to keep multiplying your sorrow. You're just going to you're going to keep thinking like, "Hey, uh, this is going to go better. This is going to be better, and it's not going to work." Right? Let's go to the next thing. So, and that was the good. All right. So the good, and we got to keep that in perspective with uh, what the rest of God's word says. It lets us experience. And then the second fill in the blank is going to be the beautiful. The beautiful. So the good, the beautiful. It sounds like the beginning of a soap opera, right? Uh, the good, the beautiful. And um, so what, what does God show us? Well, he shows us the good things. He shows us the beautiful things as well in this life as we follow him. And we look at this living preservation. Verse 5, it says, The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. I love that because we sung about that today too. Uh, you hold my lot. And so we know what Jesus has done for us, the Lord, and what David's pointing us to in the future for him is that we have chosen to have our portion with the Lord, that we uh, have him filling up our cup, and he holds this lot. And so as you see that word lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, in the Old Testament, uh, the, it's this idea of like, you know, kind of casting the dice or rolling the dice, and like that's the lot. Like whatever happens in life, like we don't know, but, um, but God does. And so um, David, uh, he, he's not just saying like, oh, God's not even sure. He's saying you hold this lot. So whatever takes place in my life, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I trust you, God. And so that's, that's kind of the cool part about it. He says, like, throughout the Old Testament, this idea of the lot, he says, God, even you hold that in your hand. And you are my portion. I choose to follow you. And so we talk about this a lot um, with our girls. Um, and Alana has already trusted in Jesus. And she keeps saying as we talk about that, like, like Hannah, you know, one day you will trust in Jesus. So she's like, got like this confidence. I'm like, that's great. Um, he's not saying that to us yet, so let's just wait. But um, so, so we, we can be encouraged by that. But remember, like we each make a choice, right? So we either make that choice, like David was pointing to other people in the Old Testament, don't keep multiplying your sorrows by chasing after everything else, but pursue God wholeheartedly. Because there's only one thing that really makes us happy in this life, really makes us joyful, and really shows us what the good is about and what this beautiful is. And in verse 6, he says, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I love that we've been looking through the book of 2 Corinthians because, um, well, as you know, the Corinthians, they had a lot of issues. And as Paul's trying to address them, he keeps, he keeps like a loving, you know, parent almost. He talks about himself too as just like a loving mom who just, you know, she's going to love, you're going to love your kids no matter what. And we, we think about that on Mother's Day too. No matter what your kids do, you'll always love them. And so Paul talks about the church and he's just, he's just you know, he goes, hey, here's the good news. You have access to this inheritance um, these lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And he's not talking about this inheritance that's perishable, right? He's not talking about this inheritance that we can build up for ourselves, that we can accumulate, that we can like maybe hand down like a little bit of our kids if there's anything left. Uh, but this inheritance that is imperishable, he says, I have a beautiful inheritance. And it's nothing that the world can offer. And so where does David's confidence come from? Well, it comes from this hope that he has that, that God is going to restore all things, but, but he even knew at that point, his faith in God, um, that he would be with God. And so he says, I've got this beautiful inheritance. Can you imagine like a king of like one of the biggest um, empires the world has ever seen? And he goes, I've got this great inheritance. And I'm sure as people heard that, they're going, yeah, I mean, you got a really good inheritance, right? You got a better 401k than anybody could have, right? But he says, I have this beautiful inheritance. And for me, these lines have fallen in pleasant places. And it's nothing that the world can offer to us, right? And in verse 7, we see this counsel that God gives too. And so this is part of, of being with him, of living with him, this beautiful counsel. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. 
in the night, also my heart instructs me. So most places in the Old Testament, even the New Testament, we see this, uh, this idea of the heart. Uh, most of the time it's pointing away from anything good, right? That a person's heart, a human being's heart, will make wrong choices a lot, will be wicked. But David says here, like the Bible tells us, that David was a man after God's own heart. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Like, where do you go to? Do you think somebody who's going to the Lord constantly for counsel is going to uh, have a heart that's more about the things of God? And we talked about that too recently, that this overflow of our hearts is, is what? What we believe, right? What comes out of our mouths shows people what we believe. And so David, he says, in the night also my heart instructs me. And he has this heart of God, which we all have access to, right? The Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, and we say, God, I need that counsel. Or what do we do? We say, like Saul, I think I know a better idea, right? And we do that sometimes. And, and maybe we go, well, it went well, so I'm going to keep doing that. But, but what happens in life? Like David says, we, we will multiply our sorrows if we don't truly say, God, everything that is good and right comes from you. And then we seek him for our counsel. And he says in verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Well, that's good news, but what does he start that out with? Is there like always this guarantee that God's going to be at our right hand? He says, I have set the Lord before me. What? The Lord always before me. So do we set the Lord before us, right? Like when we get up in the morning, are we going, God, I need your help. Um, I, I do that every day. I say, God, I, like, I can't do this on my own. Um, and I know we all experience different difficulties in life. Um, some are, are worse at times than others, or some of us think we go through more difficulty than other people do. But here, no matter what, he says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. Does this sound like a God for David? I mean, he says it at the beginning, right? He says, hey, you're my Lord. I mean, you're, you're my Adonai. You're my personal God. Like, you are, you are with me always. You are guiding me. And then in verse 8, he really kind of sets the stage for us for how do we really walk in this beautiful? I mean, we know what the good is, but when he talks about this beauty, this inheritance, how do we do that? How do we walk in it? He says, I'm going to always set the Lord before me. So you're setting the trajectory for your life. I mean, for your family's life, for your own, um, how are you going to live? How are you going to operate? People are going to see that, and they're going to go, yeah, I either want some of that or I I don't, right, because of the way um, that we live. And so he says, I'm going to set the Lord always before me. So how can he be at our right hand? Probably if we're setting him before us always, right? If we're not, if we're just going, hey, you know, God, I'm busy. Like, it's going to be a long day. I got to take care of some other things. Like, we'll get to you later, right? Just put him in the pocket. And then, and then what happens? Weeks, months, years go by, and then something bad happens, right? And we go, oh, no, we better pull Jesus out. I mean, we need him now. So, right, maybe he'll help us. But where should he have been all along? Always before us, like David said. And he's, if he's always before us, if we're always setting him before us, because there's this action, he says, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. He's not in my back pocket, like when I think I might need him at some point. Hopefully he helps me then. No, he's at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. So what's the key? I mean, in all the things that we've experienced recently in life, it's not that it hasn't been difficult. It's not that, like we haven't like, some of us have gone like, I thought I did not have anxiety. And then like the last year, I was like, I had no idea, right? Um, and so we, we, we've gone through some of these things and we realize, hey, we really maybe don't have it all together. And David says, hey, I mean, what's the key? I'm going to set the Lord before me because he's at my right hand and I shall not be shaken. Why? Well, because he's right there. 
right? It's not like we're going through this alone. It's not like we're doing it alone. We've got each other and we've got the Lord, but we've got to actually do something about it. So Christy and I were watching um, a movie recently, The Guardian, and um, so you may have seen that before, Kevin Costner, I think. And so at the beginning of the movie, um, he... He jumps out of the Coast Guard helicopter into the water, um, and there's this couple who's on this boat that's sinking, and uh, he's, he's, you know, rescue swimming to them. He gets the lady first, right? He's what he should do, <laughs> and puts her in the rescue back, basket and, and tries to send it up, and the, the husband, the guy who's there, he goes into fight-or-flight mode. He starts when he jumps in the rescue basket. Well, he almost drowns his wife in the process. I think Kevin Costner, he gets him off, right? He gets him out of the situation so she can be rescued. Uh, what do you think was the attitude when they got back, right? So they get back on the tarmac. They're going to the hospital. She's like, get away from me, right? Well, why? Because sometimes in these moments, right, we're like, things are not going well. Or we, we have the choice, right, to put the Lord here or not. Sometimes we just go into that fight or flight mode and we think like, we know best, right? We think we can handle it. And then when we do, it always goes bad, doesn't it? And so here's what Jesus said as well in Matthew 16, 25. He said, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So when, where do we find life? Where do we find joy? Where do we find contentment? This good, this beautiful, is it found in everything life has to offer? Well, in a way, God gives us that good, but it should point towards him always. And then we get this inheritance that David talks about, but it's through living our lives a certain way. It's through always putting the Lord before us, because how are you going to see the beauty, right? Unless you have those lenses that God gives you. If you're just doing everything on your own, if you say, hey, God, I can handle it, I can do it, um, maybe you can't, and probably you've already realized that. And so here's the last fill in the blank, the fullness. So we've had the good, the beautiful, the fullness. Here's the last fill in the blank, just the last couple of verses. It says in verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. And so if you look to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, we jump back into Acts chapter 8 today, as uh, Andy shared with us. And um, we should be encouraged by this because David, although, again, he writes many years before Jesus, Peter, when he talks about this, he said it's talking about Christ. And this perspective that we can have when we say, therefore, my heart is glad. So everything else that David's already said, the good the beautiful, the right perspective, the walking with God faithfully, putting him before us. He says, therefore, my heart is glad. Uh, do you have a glad heart today? I don't know. Uh, maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Maybe just like you've like, and the weight of whatever's going on in your situation has just been bogging you down. And God, <clears throat> he reminds us through what David says, is, hey, here's some keys to experiencing the good and the right perspective, the beautiful and the inheritance in putting the Lord before us so he's always at our right hand. And David says, because of those things, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. So this sounds like somebody who, he's, he's, pretty, he's pretty secure, right? He's, he's secure in his heart and then his whole being rejoices. Says his flesh also dwells secure, right? And I think for some of us, we like... Throughout this entire season, maybe throughout your life, um, maybe you, you never struggled with maybe the difficulty of anxiety or worry over like what's going to happen in life. You always felt secure, maybe in yourself or your own ability. But David says, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. So for some of us, we feel like we've kind of got that heart, the mind, and when we follow God, we believe in him. Then our flesh, right, our minds, like we worry and we we struggle and we go, God, like, what's going to happen? Well, God knows, right? 
And David says that the key to this is not like figuring out the perfect plan for your money management or um, to pay off your house early or to have a certain job. No, he, he's, he didn't talk about any of those things because he's the king. And he says, hey, if this can't, couldn't satisfy you, then, then, then what could? He says the key here is, and this good and this beautiful, is putting God always before you. And then the result of that is what? We experience this fullness of being close to God and walking with him. And this is the, therefore, my heart is glad. Is your heart glad? My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Now, if you've lived long enough to, you probably know like, hey, there's been some things I've experienced. Maybe you have, it's like now, Christy and I were talking about that yesterday, but it's like there's like a doctor for everything, you know? And sometimes you think like, man, we have too many doctors. <laughs> we, got, uh, we got too many problems. But the truth is we, we live in a time where we, we can get a lot of comfort in that area, right? Where there's a lot of doctors say, hey, here, you should do this with this thing. You should do this with it. They're like guys for you know, foot, eye, you know, head, ear, what, whatever. There's like somebody special for each thing. The specialists, right? That's where people you go to. And so we have comfort in all those areas, but yet David's saying, hey, look, you, you can go and you can get those things and that's fine and God gives us those good things, but does your flesh really dwell secure? And is it about, like, the circumstance that you have? Is it about perfect health? Well, no. In fact, some of the, like, the happiest, um, most spiritually mature people I know are people who are older who are like, hey, we have, we've got, like, 50 doctors, right? And we go to them all the time. But it's because their joy doesn't come from their present circumstance or whatever difficulty they're going through, whatever health thing. Their flesh is secure, but it's not because the body doesn't perish, right? Because it does at some point. We just read that in Second Corinthians. So that does go away. But God's renewing our spirit. And then in verse 10, it says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. And, and David's specifically pointing towards Jesus and what he's going to come and do on the cross. So he did not see corruption. He, he raised from the dead and he therefore passes that on to us or let your Holy One see corruption. So now we can experience life eternal, right? We can have that fullness because, like David said at the beginning, like David said about the good, about the beautiful, we put the Lord before us always, and so he's walking with us at our right side. And here's the last verse. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so we wonder, right, how do we know, like, the path of life? Like, what are we supposed to do in this life? Like, we um, uh, sometimes we think maybe we just go to the person who knows the most, who's the smartest person in our life, and they can tell us, like, what, what decisions we should make. But where are we supposed to go? Well, he says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And again, it's pointing back to this. Do we put God before us? Does he walk alongside us? At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so while the world does offer us the good good things, things that God blesses us with, but they, like we said, they can't terminate on themselves. And he says, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so instead of going throughout life, right, instead of trying to find all the things that we think will make us happy, the good things that we, we just leave it there, right? Oh, we got the good, we're good. We don't need the beautiful. We don't need the fullness. Well, we need all those things, don't we, in order to walk in right relationship with God because he offers this to us. He says, at your right hand, like God's at his right hand, our pleasures forevermore. And he gives us access to it, right? It's not that we don't experience pain and difficulty in this life, but we experience the fullness, which is a whole lot better than anything else. The good, the beautiful, the fullness. And so as we think about that, this life, uh, this living preservation, 
and maybe losing our life to find it, maybe giving up some of the things that we were just like, hey, we thought this would make us happier, maybe doing life this way is better, whatever the Lord's laying on your heart, I don't know. Um, but Christy and I, we, we made a, uh, I don't know if it was a difficult decision in the last year, but um, I started praying about something. I felt like the Lord was um, pressing on my heart. It was like bef- right around the time the pandemic started, just about being more invested in our community, being more involved in our community. And um, I, I was driving by, I didn't know what it was, and I was driving by the um, fire hall down here um, at the end of town. And, you know, you always see the signs in front of the fire hall, like volunteer, right? Uh, volunteer, or make a difference, right? And, you know, I'd seen those things a thousand be- times before, and I was like, okay, right, somebody go make a difference, right? <laughs> somebody should do that. And when I saw that this time, I started praying about that. I was like, God, I don't really want to, you know, I don't really want to volunteer for the fire department. I mean, that sounds dangerous, doesn't it? And at times, it can be, uh, but I talked to Christy about it, and we, we just started praying. We said, God, how do you want us to be invested? How do you want us to give us opportunities to meet needs? And so I started doing that at the beginning of this year, just doing a lot of training. I'm still doing that right now. But it was one of those things where at times I've gone, like, God, um, yeah, that's a good idea, but <laughs> I think I got a better one. It's called staying at home when you hear the sirens going off, right? Let's let somebody, let's let somebody else handle that. But as we began to pray, God really made that clear to us. That's something he wanted us to do. And I can't tell you that all the um, wonderful things through being involved with uh, the community and then the great group of people that are down at the fire department here that, that live in Elba and serve and just all the things that I've learned. But the, one of the most important things I've seen is that what I didn't see before when I kept saying, God, I don't know that's what you want me to do. And that didn't seem like a good idea. But I was faithful to do that. And, and all the people that I've interacted with, you know what you do when you work with the volunteer fire department? You get to meet people on their worst day of the week, month, year, or their life. And through that, through working with this great group of people, God's given a lot of opportunities um, to not just to help people, but to point to things that are more important than that. Not just the physical existence, but the spiritual one as well, and where we're going to spend eternity. And so I want to just encourage you, because maybe you're, like right now, uh, maybe you're going through a difficult season, and you're thinking, like, I know God wants me to do this, but I'd rather just keep here with the good. I don't need the beautiful experience. I don't need the fullness of life that God can offer. Because sometimes God presses on our hearts in these ways, and we just go, yeah, I think I got a better idea. And I know how that went for Saul. And, and what did the prophet Samuel do? He reminded him. He said, hey, look, you continue to make these bad choices. And what does God do? He removes you from this place. And so uh, maybe you're here today and you don't know uh, what that's like to experience God's fullness. You kind of stopped at the good and you said, hey, the good is good. I'm going to stay here. Like, I enjoy that. That's going to be enough for me. But maybe you want to experience what it is to have a life with God, this beautiful life. Um, and maybe for you, maybe you've been a Christian for a while and you feel, I've experienced the good, I've experienced the beautiful, yeah, I walk with God, but maybe it's just been hard for me to submit. And some of those times where I'm like, God, I don't know if I want to experience the fullness because it scares me, right? Some of those things might scare us. And we just have to say to God, uh, we think about this on Mother's Day, we want to preserve life, right? That's what one of Mother's chief jobs, you know, don't make bad choices, let me instruct you. But maybe it's in the things that God and the world, you know, the world looks at and God says, hey, do this and you're actually going to find your life. Now, it may involve losing it. We know a lot of people have in the past who have served God faithfully and become martyrs. But maybe it's just losing the things that you think make you happy, the things that you think are good. And maybe we should trade up for the beautiful and that full life of being able to follow God wholeheartedly. 
okay? Um, and so again, maybe you're here today and you've never made that choice. Um, I'll be here afterwards to talk to you about that, but what we know is it's just as simple as this, to admit you're a sinner, uh, believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died on the cross for our sins, was raised on that third day, so we might have eternal life. And then just confess with your mouth, say, God, uh, I need some help here, and I can't do it on my own, okay? Um, so I'll be here if you want to talk about that afterwards. Let me pray for us, and we'll head out. Father, we uh, thank you for this day. God, we thank you for um, all the mothers in the room. Um, God, maybe those who uh, are a, a pseudo-mother to us, a pseudo-aunt or grandmother. Um, God, we, we love this church that we um, live in and we operate in, and there's so many people, ladies, who have been um, so influential in the years here at this church. We want to thank you for that. Uh, but God, more than that, we want to say, hey, what does it look like? to live a life um, that is really about preserving what you want for us. God, the, um, that life that if we lose what we want, we get what you want for us. Um, God, in that, we don't experience just the good, the good things in life that you give us, but the beautiful things, the relationship with you through walking with you faithfully, putting you before us. And God, <clears throat> not just that, the beautiful, the relationship that we have with you, but the fullness that we can experience in being totally obedient. God, not just saying all these things are good and great, I have this, but I don't know if I want to fully submit to you. And I don't know if I want to be obedient to you with the rest of my life. Um, God, all, all the things you know that you could offer us. Um, I pray that you'd move in our hearts this morning. Um, as we leave this place, we go and we celebrate moms. Um, God, help us think about um, what a life preserved for you really looks like. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.